0: Hello and welcome to this bonus edition of the Charles Cinecast, presented by the Prince Charles Cinema and the Breadcrumbs Collective. This is your host, Jonathan Foster, and I'm flying solo once again this week because my co-host extraordinaire, Phil, is being a pizza pie boy in New York City. He is eating up all the pizza in the great state of New York and in my homeland of America. I hope he's having a blast right now, but it's okay that he's not here because we have a very special episode this week. Uh, Much like our Jim Cummings episode a couple weeks back, we had a very special guest drop in to the Prince Charles Cinema to pay us a visit, and he spoke with us on the podcast. And that person is writer and director of films such as The Raid, and The Raid 2, and Apostle, and, you know... A segment from VHS 2 he's done a lot of fun stuff it is one Mr. Gareth Evans so yes please stay tuned for this special episode Gareth joined us live in person this past Monday the 15th of November at the Prince Charles Cinema for a screening of The Raid and The Raid 2 I got to once again uh, host the Q&A And yeah, while the first film was on, Gareth and I went upstairs to my old office that I'm hardly in anymore, and we recorded the following interview, and it was a great time. Uh, Basically, Gareth and I had been talking a little bit with a couple of other staff members in the office uh, before we did the intro for the double feature screening, and I kind of got the sense that Gareth didn't really want to do the usual Um, sort of thing. I mean, he's very, very friendly and very nice and very open to talk about his films. But it seemed like he was, like, happy to talk about kind of anything. So I kind of went with that. I I was very, like, I don't know. I didn't have much planned. I thought it would be kind of fun just to have a very loose, weird conversation. And that's kind of exactly what happened. Now, if you're a Raid fan, don't worry. We do talk about the Raid and the Raid 2 quite a bit. Um, But yeah, it was really interesting. We just really got a bit silly with it. So I hope you guys enjoy this. I'm gonna keep this bit a bit short because this is a bit of a long chat that we had. Longer than we anticipated. It's kind of funny because uh, we kept talking about how we were trying to cut it short because we wanted to go catch the end of the raid. So Gareth could see it on the big screen for the first time in years. He hadn't seen it in so long. And we were trying desperately, but we just <laughs> we just kept talking and it was kind of funny. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoy that you got the extra linked on this conversation and Gareth, you know, sacrificed his ability to see the end of the raid. Uh, so anyway, without any further ado, hope you enjoy this. It's Gareth Evans on the Pot Charles Cinecast. <laughs>
1: everything
0: is fine in heaven i'm recording who cares (laughs) hello everyone and welcome to this little bonus edition of the pontral cinecast i have with me a very special guest which i probably said already in a uh, separately recorded intro for this um it's mr gareth evans how's it going
2: going good thank you very much
0: yeah (laughs) all good Gareth and I are chilling out in the really noisy office that I used to record this podcast in um, years ago. And uh, it's fun being back up here. I haven't recorded with someone in person in so long. When was the last time you did that? Pre-COVID. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, because um, I was going to do it with Jim Cummings a couple weeks ago here at the cinema. Yeah, Jim, unfortunately, got COVID. No. And we weren't able to do it in person, Mm. and it got changed to Zoom. So, you're my first in-person Zoom. My non-Zoom, non-Skype interview in forever. Wow, that's (laughs) mad, isn't
2: it? It's quite the room, this, as well. I know we were talking about it earlier. Yeah. (laughs) Quite a lot of films, yeah. A
0: lot of films. I've taken photos of stuff in here over the years, so probably the listeners may have seen some crap that I've taken photos of, but yeah, it is a bizarre little box of a room
2: it's interesting so obviously we were talking earlier about the pile of vhs tapes on the floor yeah <laughs> and um obviously like you know evil dead 2 stands out as one of the sort of like you know quintessential sort of vhs box arts from <laughs> yeah. the 80s yeah but there's also licensed license to drive there oh yeah with the two quarries yeah. we we and heather graham
0: not too selective here we're like you know
2: licensed drive is a, is 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 a great film
0: yeah we're open to anything and everything yeah yeah
2: I showed my daughter it during the lockdown she hadn't seen it before yeah and I remember having a bit of a heart and mouth moment anytime I introduce her to a film from the 80s because obviously very different time back then yeah and so anything we've picked we've always kind of like watched with caution and it's always it like it it, it always ends up following the film with a sort of like okay so there were different times back then, so some of the language <laughs> might be outdated, some yeah. of the opinions might be outdated. But let's watch the film and then yeah. talk about it afterwards. But yeah,
0: I mean, it's two guys who may or may not have licenses.
2: <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah,
0: going out on going out for rides and stuff. Like it's a good time. I, I haven't seen License to Drive since I was a little kid, so I barely remember it. But I love the two Corys growing up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on.
2: I mean, the Lost Boys. Yeah,
0: Lost Boys, and even their sort of solo stuff. That they did, like you know, kind of growing up, you know, in the same sort of circles and stuff.
2: But I mean, when you add Gremlins God. and Stand by Me into the mix, yeah, yeah, it's all side of yeah. things. I mean, that's those are two pretty special so films out there.
3: yeah,
0: and uh, I mean, was it um, the one, the football one? I, I almost wanted to call it Rudy, but it's not Rudy. But the one that Corey Haim did, um,
2: Lucas. I've not seen Lucas. Lucas is I know so of good. Lucas, but I've not yeah. seen it. Yeah, you know, Winona Ryder wasn't and, there? Wasn't there one that? Corey Haim did as well with um, with Cynthia Rothrock. There was like a martial arts action movie one, like a, like a, like a getaway type thing with the car. I can't remember where it was Yeah, called maybe. Or...
0: Yeah. God, there's so many. Yeah. Two Coreys. Great time. <laughs> Two Coreys on the Pod Charles Cinecast with Gareth Evans. That's what we're talking about here. It's not, you know, we could talk about the raid, but I mean, who, who wants, to hear, who wants to hear about that? Who wants to hear about that? gareth uh, Garrett, thanks so much for coming on. Um, it is absolutely an honor to have you. Uh, I know all of our listeners and stuff will have a blast listening to this because they love hearing from great filmmakers. But also, I mean, we're a British cinema, and mm-hmm. having a British filmmaker here is awesome.
2: So oh, no, that's a like, privilege. It's yeah. Not a privilege me as well to be here, to be honest. Although we were
0: kind of joking downstairs about how a couple of the staff members were saying that it was just so odd that you made the raid, yeah, being a Welshman. And how it's, like, it's, like, you know, if you watch it, if you watch these films and you see it for the first time, and it, and it's in Indonesian as well, it's, like, mm. you know, it's not, like, you know, English. This is a little bit in the second film, but there's not much English at all. yeah And, uh, yeah, you have just, like, just totally immersed in the culture, the martial arts, and then it's just, like, oh, it's directed by Gareth Evans.
2: Yeah, the 50,000-foot view of my career trajectory is pretty unusual, <laughs> but while I was um while I was on the ground living it it didn't feel like a weird thing at the time it's like yeah. in retrospect it does feel weird now that yeah. I went from um Wales to Indonesia in order to start my film career mm-hmm. um, but it was just it was one of those things where I guess in a way I and I, I hadn't really planned on being a filmmaker that would focus so much on martial arts I mean yeah. I loved it growing up as a kid yeah you know I, I was never never really the sort of like the, the comic book kid i wasn't really into like the superhero stuff to me bruce lee was a superhero watching yeah. enter the dragon for the first time was like this guy's a real superhero didn't mm-hmm. need a cape <laughs> it was just all his own physicality yeah. and i always found that fascinating and then you know as a kid growing up my dad would take us to the he'd take us to the the rugby games right we always go to the rugby every every other weekend we go to watch Neath play and then on the way there, would we'd stop off at the video shops. I'm from a small little village community growing mm-hmm. up, and the video stores in our village were, were like houses that had been gutted and converted <laughs> yeah. into video shops. You yeah. know, they weren't. It wasn't like a blockbuster. We we didn't have blockbusters until probably like mid '90s, something like that. It might be sketchy on the the, the the dates there, but that's what it felt like to us. Yeah. And so it was very much like sort of like you know, what you'd call in America like the mom and pop store type yeah. of thing. You know, locally <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, and then he, he introduced Jackie Chan all of a sudden and yeah. brought home Armor of God one day, and then like my life just changed completely. My appreciation of Asian cinema kick started from there. Yeah. And it was just whatever I could get my hands on. And so, like, I we were talking about VHS covers and we were talking about like Sakura Killers, like you know, Sakura Killers for me would have been like how do i get my hands on that can i get can i watch that immediately please yeah box art was the was the big sales pitch for me it was like if anything had anything vaguely remotely uh, to do with martial arts like a ninja or a sword or a throwing star on the cover that was it yeah like i wanted to watch it
0: i mean i was the same way um i I don't know how old you are actually Uh, i'm
2: 41 okay
0: so i'm about well i'm 32 so about 10 years younger so I would come from probably the perspective of like the stuff in the late 80s into the early 90s, -hmm. but like there was a plethora of like stuff for kids as well, like martial arts, like Three Ninjas. And yeah, that's right. I was so obsessed with stuff like that. So seeing it was the same thing going to Blockbuster or something, and you're just going through and you just see like all the VHS covers, and you're just like, oh, I wanna wanna see that. Mom, please, can I rent this? But it'd also be with horror films as well. And I was lucky that my mom, for some reason, didn't give a fuck.
2: See, that's weird because for me, because neither of my parents were that into horror. Yeah, horror didn't really come into into play with me for for quite a while. Mm-hmm. My dad hated horror. He was never really into it. it was like he scared too easily. Yeah, you know he'd admit that himself. And my mum was never much in terms of like she wasn't into like gore or violence. She'd always find it too squeamish. So yeah. so you are like one parent who doesn't like squeamish violence <laughs> and the other one who doesn't like horror. And so. It just never really kind of permeated his way into into my into into my sort of like viewing habits, and so when I was a kid growing up, I was terrified of Freddy Krueger, yeah, based off yeah, the yeah. box art. Oh yeah, yeah, more than the movies themselves because I hadn't seen them. And I remember being very very young, and and my brother was like three and a half years older than me, telling me that he was going to go and watch Freddy at, at a friend's house, mm-hmm. and. <laughs> It terrified me because it was just, it was so much about the mythology of those films and the little I knew about, oh, he creeps into your dreams and then he kills you while you sleep. That stuff's like terrifying to a kid with an overactive imagination. Yeah. So I was certain that he'd watch the film and then get killed by Freddy. (laughs) So, me being the terrible younger brother that I was, bolted down the stairs like in floods of tears yeah. <laughs> screaming to my parents don't let him go out he's gonna watch Freddy yeah. and Freddy's gonna get him
0: it's like Ringo mixed with yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah, exactly <laughs> but
2: without knowing the, the, what Ringo was yeah. at that time And yeah. you know, my brother must have just like looked at me like a complete dick and just what sighed what a like, yeah, just, yeah, you, you. <laughs> not only have I ruined his plans but yeah. uh, I think he still ended up going out and watching the film anyway yeah. but it was just a, but that since that to me was that weird the, the magic of film really in a way even it's how it captures your imagination when you're young mm-hmm. and how it makes you think things are real. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, when it, when it was that weird thing where it's like, I, you know, obviously since then, I've got to watch Nightmare on Elm Street and, you know, got to enjoy the hell out of the film. I think they're amazing films. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And then, um, you know, especially the first one, and, and and I greatly admire it, but it wasn't as frightening as I, as my imagination led me to believe it would be. Yeah. And um, and that was something really, really interesting about like how horror slowly, slowly crept into my, my viewing habits. Then yeah. later on,
3: yeah. I didn't
2: see Silence of the Lambs till I was like twenty, I think. Oh, 19, really? Twenty? I yeah. missed it. Wow. Yeah, it was. Just, I think it was deemed. I was probably like ten when it came out. My parents mm-hmm. were just like, "No, you're not know, watching that." Yeah. And so it just, I, I just kind of missed the boat on it. And then by the time I was like, you know, thirteen or something, or rather twelve or thirteen. I moved on and started pursuing like, you know, the, the manga home video stuff, all the anime stuff Akira yeah, yeah, coming yeah, yeah. out, you know, three by three eyes and all of that stuff. And then, you know, Kitano films were starting to get released in the UK as well as, um, you know, John Woo. Uh, and so the, my, 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 my love of film went there then. So there was yeah. a whole chunk of movies that came out in that sort of early nineties that, uh, like, you know, big sort of like movies that I just kind of like missed because I just went off on this, this tangent more towards sort of like, um, Hong Kong and Japan in terms of the cinema that was coming up from there. Then
0: Yeah. Well, that's like interesting though, because like you skirt along and if you find those horror films in a way, it's almost like you, you, you I don't know, like you almost like get into that thing where like I was discussing it with some friends recently, because we have a, uh, a second podcast is sort of like the same, it's the same podcast, but a second show called yeah. franchise. And we're going through all the Romero night of the living dead, day of the dead return. Um, yeah. uh, Cool. Dawn of the Dead and then the Return of the Living Dead series and then we're going to go back to the later Romero trilogy and just kind of like chart how they've grown and changed and all that. And, mm. y- you know, like you start seeing these films that you watch maybe when you're younger and you just know how like terrifying you found them. But now you're older and it's like things don't scare you the same anymore and it's kind of sucks. Like, cause you're all, it, like I always call it like sort of chasing the dragon almost cause you just want that hit of just, pure horror that just freaks you out. But I it's think hard it, to find that stuff.
2: I think what's interesting about that as well, Mind, is is that how you, how you, your viewing experience of something can change as, as you grow older as well and as mm-hmm. you kind of like do different things. So it's like slight divergence here from the horror theme of it.
3: But <laughs> Mrs. Doubtfire. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> just to talk about Mrs. Doubtfire yeah. for a second. I mean, when I, when I first saw that as a kid, I mean, it was just the, the, the super fun wacky slapstick yeah. comedy. And then I showed it to my my daughter again um like about a year or two ago. And I remember watching it, and then all of a sudden you start realizing, oh my god, there's some really, you know, deep emotional themes. It plays very, very different to me as an as an adult with kids and mm-hmm. family. And it plays it plays almost like this like heartbreaking sort of emotional drama now. Yeah. With all the slapstick and the comedy, and also yeah, yeah. the great late Robin Williams. Um you know it, 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 as a kid, just, I, I was only ever kind of aware of the slapstick, I was only ever aware of the fun part of that film, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. Just, you just used to see the extra layers then, you know, as, as you grow older and and revisit these old films, yeah.
0: Well, that's the thing with like horror films and stuff, you can start to see, like, um, or even like martial arts films for that, like, just um, because you're older and you start to focus on different things, you really can discern, like, okay, well, obviously, the story is the story good mm. or man how well some of these are made like, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you start to pick and choose between like oh i like jump scares or i like films that like use shadows and stuff to like create or you know like or that like this sorry the suspense of a, a scene like you know like i love like halloween for instance mm. halloween like you know was one of those films where i looked at the cover and it,
2: yeah yeah yeah.
0: nope do not want to see it. <laughs> Shove it in the Probably back of the VHS box. Like, just get out of here, Michael Myers. I don't want to see that face. Yeah. But now there are some of my favorite films, especially that first one, and like the use of like, you know, shadows and stuff. Like, Michael Myers is coming out of a shadow. Yeah. It's just, like so terrifying.
3: Yeah.
0: And it's like any, like, if I just, you know, flicked at your face yeah. without you knowing I was going to do it, you might flinch yeah, yeah. because you were not expecting it. And that's what I think a jump scare is. It's like, it's kind of, yeah. sometimes they work. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's
2: not always great. It's interesting to say because it's like, like two two films, kind of like when you start to realize the the, the craft of it as mm-hmm. well. Um, the first time I saw The Exorcist, long, long, long time ago, it was prior to it getting really re released in the UK. Yeah, I think it was. I don't know if it was banned or if it just wasn't available in the it's, UK. I don't. Was possible. it banned? I can't remember. It's, it's
0: possible because the UK is. It
2: is possible. Video
0: nasty. Era, yeah, so
2: bizarre. But I remember watching. Like a fifth generation VHS copy of the film mm-hmm. of the first time I saw it. so when I first saw the Exist, it was pan and scan, squiggly lines everywhere. There wasn't a single sort of solid line anywhere. It was all blue and black almost monochrome. yeah, and the sound was almost as if it had gone through like some old freaking um you know organ or something or other. It was just like <laughs> it was just like everything was kind of wispy and wavy and everything else. I watched yeah. it on a on a terrible little portable TV. With a blown-out speaker, <laughs> and I was just just like horrified by it, like yeah. terrified by it. It was terror, absolutely terrifying film. I, rem- I remember then when it did get released, then going to watch it in the cinema, and then for the first time realizing, oh my god, this film is 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 it's 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 got craft to it. Yeah. It's it's yeah. incredibly Massive. epic in terms of yeah. scope and scale, and looked completely different from what I had, what my thoughts of that film were. Yeah, but it played exactly the same in terms of the fear factor. So, you know, I had like two totally different tonal experiences of the same story and they were both as terrifying despite one having an incredibly grungier sort of feel to it. But then the other film I was going to tell you, it was um the first time I went to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, yeah. And I saw that in the, sc- in the cinema screening and it came out with no fanfare at all. It was screening in a, in a, in a cinema in Cardiff. It was like a m- late night screening, maybe like 11 o'clock at night. And I remember me and my friends. We were, we were figuring out what to do that night, and then we saw it on the marquee in the cinema, and we were like, oh, "We're gonna go see that." I was like, "I don't care what else, I don't care what else is out tonight. We're gonna go see that. We have to see this film." Yeah. So I dragged all of them to go watch this movie, and um, I wasn't. I don't think I was ready for that film. I, well, I certainly wasn't ready for that film. And I remember sitting down to watch it, and from the moment the credits started. With the little sort of the, the pop whir of the of the of the camera flash and the yeah, little whining sound, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, the sort of the savagery of it, the sort of like the aggression of the sound mix and everything else, I just remember feeling instantly un- uneasy about this experience. And yeah. I remember sitting there in the cinema, and the first time Leatherface popped up and grabbed her by the hip and then pulled her back in through the the the, the door, um. And then later on, then when he hit, I think it was Kurt that he hits with a hammer and then yeah. like drops the floor and then drags him in and slams the metal door shut.
0: So scary. <laughs> From that moment on,
2: <laughs> I was like, my fingers were literally gripping into the seat. <laughs> and um and it just it just what what I was impressed with with the Texas Chainsaw was like I went in only knowing about its notoriety, not knowing about what it was as a film. Yeah. So I went in expecting it to just be go, 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 go easy to consume. Forget about it, leave, and then be like, hey, we saw it. Great, it was the fun. I didn't expect it to be so nerve-shredding that the suspense is what the key of that film is. It's just it, it's just from the moment that first kill happens, it's just constant dread. Yeah. And intensity yeah, yeah. and and the dinner table scene. Yes. It's just <laughs> you but you you literally, <laughs> literally feel like you've gone into somewhere where there's no escape at that point. Yeah. And you're in her your inner headspace. Yeah, like every little close up of her eye and the little screechy sounds with every cut and the, the extreme close ups with the, op- the the optic nerves and everything else. I just remember like getting out of that movie and it you know, ends in that abrupt, hard cut to silence with the chainsaw whirring, with Leatherface going nuts and with the, with the sunset and in the background. I remember it finishing, and I I had kind of like subconsciously planted myself in my seat and was like even if I needed to go to the toilet in that movie, I didn't want to take a step closer to the screen. Yeah. Like I was so terrified by it. (laughs) Absolutely terrified by that film. I'd never seen anything like it in my life.
0: I don't see how they made films like that. Like it's so hard to believe Mm -hmm. those were like made in the seventies and stuff. And you have that whole like boom of horror through, I mean, obviously it kind of really like kicked off with like Halloween kind of creating the slasher craze. But then, you know, those films that predate like, like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre or like The Exorcist or Mm. um, the film that inspired Halloween with Black Christmas, like Bob Clark's Black Christmas, which is insane that he made a Christmas story as well. And it's just like, how do you make two opposite polar ends of Christmas films? The most American, like all American, like that film's so popular in America, Mm -hmm. Christmas Story. And then the most terrifying
2: it's Bob Clark, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: like, Bob Clark, how in the fuck did you do that? And then you made then Baby do Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Porky's. Porky's. The first couple of Porky's films, Baby Geniuses. Like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. Like, anyway, what a madman.
2: Christmas Story is like every year at our house. Yeah. Like, I grew up watching that film. Yeah. We, 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 that, that's that's a special one. I love that movie so much. It's yeah. a really great film.
0: It's, a, it's, it's like one of those things, because I don't know. It's like some people here in the UK, like... Know it
3: really? Yeah, well. I
2: was surprised that a bunch of my friends haven't heard of it, and I was we were introducing them to them, and I, it's, it. It's it's that weird thing where it's like when we're sat around because it's been such a big part of my life. You just assume it's everybody's yeah, pro- yeah, Christmas, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's but then I then I then I realize then the absurdity of me assuming that with people when only two years ago did I see uh, It's a Wonderful Life for the first time. <laughs> yeah. Which was yeah. on my shame list for a while. Yeah. And which people were probably right. again. yeah what?
0: You haven't seen that? What? Yeah,
2: that's yeah. insane. <laughs> but it's, oh, it's a stunning yeah. film. But yeah.
0: Yeah. No, no, like, um, A Christmas Story is a funny one because, like, I'm from America. If you haven't guessed by my accent. Um, so yeah, it's like a thing that's literally shown mm. every, like, uh, what well, is every year, every Christmas, and shown for twenty four hours on TBS in America, like was it? And it's been like that for thirty years.
2: Was, was it? Was it um, popular? And like when it came out in the cinema as well? I know I'm asking you a question that's probably difficult for you to answer. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> when it came out, yeah. anyway. <laughs> before you well, were born, was it before. popular? Did you hear the hype? You know, um, was it? Was it popular? And I don't know if it was a, was it popular in cinema or did it kind of find its home like on television? On, I don't know why I saw it on TV the first time. Yeah, I you know? think it
0: must be television. Um, And it just, through the years, kind of became this Mm. cult favorite. Sort of like Hocus Pocus, you know? Like Hocus
2: Pocus was like... I've seen Hocus Pocus. Oh, really? Yeah. That's on my list as well. I mean,
0: like, you know, um, my co-host, like, we we did it for the podcast over Halloween a few weeks ago. And he hated it. So he's going to be like, fuck off with the Hocus Pocus. (laughs) Why are you talking about that? Um, But yeah, no, it's like just one of those films that just gets shown every year. And then I think it's just like people... Are conditioned to think it's a good movie mm. and it's like that could be the same thing with a uh, christmas story i fucking love it but i think there are some british people who watch it and they're like what the fuck
3: yeah, yeah. but it's
0: so it's so american though like it is quite what's, american vibes
3: what's you know?
2: your what's your earliest uh, sorry i'm asking you questions now what, no, what, what's right. your earliest memory in terms of like you know film actually sitting down and watching the film can you remember what
3: it might yeah. have been
0: um I'm try to think uh, t- to be honest like a lot of the early memories i have of film are <laughs> surprisingly horrific chucky
2: right okay. child's
0: play like um i don't know why i'm, I'm sure there there must be something else um uh, well teenage mutant ninja turtles oh there you go those the, f- the first two yeah. particular and i was always a big uh secret of the news fan so like
2: I was secretly Yeah, I
0: was. I was so in love with that film. So I wore those tapes out. Yeah. Um but yeah, Chuck like Child's Play, Child's Play one and two. Yeah, were yeah. like especially the second one. The first one was
2: great. The, the, the first Child's
0: one's Play. like, a, like just genuinely. That first time he
2: turns. Very, such a good movie. It's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> it's genius. It's so good. It's when she realizes that there's no batteries in it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 She turns on. She realizes that yeah they've been in the box the entire time yeah. or something right? That's right.
0: Yeah. And she flips him over He's
1: like, oh, shut up! Yeah, like yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah that yeah. that is terrifying. That's yeah. a great that's that's a great scare. That's not a jump scare, but feels yeah. like a jump
3: scare.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's I mean? just like he <laughs> animates in her hands. Yeah. Those films are fucking brilliant. Like yeah, yeah. I um I mean to be honest, if you like that, uh the guy who uh created the Chucky Doll and helped um with the story and stuff and um for child's play and, and produced it and stuff, actually created the story and I think produced Hocus Pocus. So, oh, there we go. There you go. Come back full world. circle, yeah. Full circle.
2: I've been told my first film that I watched when I was a kid that I actually sat down and watched from beginning to end was um, Oliver. Oliver, musical. yeah. That yeah, was yeah. that was the first one I watched from beginning to end. I remember like just being glued to the screen. I thinking it was just an incredible thing. The first VHS tape that came into our house was probably Flash Gordon. Oh yeah, that yeah. was the first one in the old <laughs> top loader machine that we came in, and it was yeah. it's fun because it's like I guess the reason I asked because I was talking to you earlier about because I used to I used to work in a video store yeah. when I was about fifteen or sixteen and there was something about it was like because this is that thing again like it was like the, the house converted into a video shop and on the on the wall behind the counter was like all of the stock of videotapes like all these sort of like cassettes that were just like lined up row after row. You know, and it got to like the sort of like, you know, it got to almost like two, three thousand tapes in there or something. You know, it was just <laughs> yeah. insane, you know. And then um, they've all got a little sticker label on them. So they're numbered and stuff like that. And then one day I had this thought. I was like, I wonder what the first 10 films were and see if there's anything gold in the first 10 films that, you know, whoever owned the store, their first stock of films, what was it? And obviously I go through it. Da, 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 and then number seven was um, Peckinpah's Straw Dogs. Nice, yeah. And that was banned in the UK. Yeah, and so obviously, like she'd had to pull the the case off the shelf, so <laughs> nobody could pick it up and rent it. But the cassette itself was still up on the the thing. Yeah, and I remember, I remember taking it home and watching it, and um, saying to my dad, my dad is a big Peckinpah fan because The Wild Bunch was, you know, that was that was cinema life to my dad yeah
0: you've said in the past i felt like you that you really wanted to make a western film right
2: i'd love to do a yeah. western at some point yeah i would never touch a remake of a film like a oh wild no, bunch. no 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 no
0: no chance. no 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 remakes but just the western a yeah. western i'd love to do at some <laughs> yeah. point
2: i'd love to find a, an original idea for a western yeah I sort of love to do but um but the wild bunch is like you know every single every single format that that film exists in we've seen it yeah so we, <laughs> we watched it uh, on when it was broadcast on television. We watched it in pan and scan VHS, then widescreen VHS, then the director's cut VHS, then the DVD came out, then we saw a 35-mil print of it, and then we saw the Blu-ray of it. And so the only thing we're waiting for <laughs> is a 4K UHD. So yeah. hopefully Warner Brothers can get that out pretty soon so me and my dad can watch that again as well.
0: Come on, Warner Brothers. I know you're listening. Yeah, Let's please get it, out, get it, get it done. <laughs> and
2: while you're at it, Ken Russell's The Devil's uncut. Oh,
0: dude. <laughs> We did that for the podcast. Did you... Did, did you, uh, oh, yeah. uh, the, you talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, because, I mean, it's so impossible to really show in the UK, like, on, yeah. in cinemas. Um, Like, I don't know, there's certain cuts I think you could possibly show, but it's just like, it wouldn't be worth it, because you want to show the own cut. cut. Yeah, version. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But we, we did it's it for the... It's a remarkable film. For the podcast. I think at the beginning of COVID, really, it was, like, really early on, and... It like I hadn't seen it before and uh-huh. it blew my fucking mind it's insane I really it? wasn't expecting
2: it like, I had no idea what to expect yeah. either I went in comp- almost completely blind I'd, yeah. seen, I'd seen clips of it on like documentaries about censorship in film yeah but you know naturally they'd only show the more sensationalist aspects of the film so yeah. I was like oh, okay a lot of naked nuns didn't yeah. know much about the film at that point and then when I sat down to watch it I was just like absolutely just like left yeah. gobsmacked by it
0: it's so good like Der jarman's yeah. uh set design and yeah. everything is beautiful That's incredible it's right? just insane vanessa redgrave
2: yeah yeah yeah
3: <sighs> yeah what a performance so man. good
0: yeah it's ace yeah. all around plus one of the best mustaches in the game you know? <laughs> yeah like we we joke around in our emails sometimes we'll ask like dumb questions and it's like that was like I was like, what's the best mustache in cinema? And I had to use that like image from oh, the you've devils. gone for that. Yeah, because it just looks so that image in, from the devils of yeah, you know, just oh, he, he I, Bobby Reed I looks so good in that film.
3: <laughs>
2: I, I, I would have gone Sam Elliott in the Big Lebowski. That's the
0: thing though, because that's always the battle, cause um my, growing up my mother was a Sam Elliott, like you know, you know, you hear the 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 things that make you go Ew. like that your parents say that they have a crush on someone he's like Ugh. yeah. <laughs> so like my mom's thing was always like oh sam ellie he's so sexy <laughs> that mustache and then like it, every time i see the big lebowski I, I always think of that and it just creeps me out same thing as tr- <laughs> uh, Kevin bacon and trimmers and he's just got oh. like the jeans on that's like the tight jeans from the 80s and stuff and it's just like my mom used to say like oh he's so sexy and it's just like creeps me out I'm going to um, keep
2: taking us back to the, the video shop days yeah, because um, so. we had um, so a small village. And so one of the nearby towns decided to try to capitalize on it by they would send out like um, like an ice cream truck, but it would be a video van. So they would bring a van to the top of the street every Tuesday and every Thursday night. And it would just be like select titles from the video shop why doesn't just, that
0: exist still it's, it's, it's yeah. the best it we was need the that best for, thing ever we should have that for COVID I we mean should, yeah. although you don't need it yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> Disney's <laughs> few like people hey still <laughs> have a work in now, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: but it was, it was this wild time it was like yeah, I remember going into the van always just looking for like you know Fist of Fury or something or other wherever I could get any martial arts from I could get yeah. the trick was to rent on a Thursday so you could keep it till the Tuesday instead of the Tuesday yeah. and have to give it back two days <laughs> later Um, you know I remember because in our street our street was like, you know, it was bungalows everywhere, sort of like housing, housing area there. And um, most of the people living on the street were like, you know, already families. So like we were all, all, all of us kids knew each other. We we're all kind of like riding our bikes around the block and all that. Very stand by me. And then um, a new couple had moved in at the top end of the street. Uh, young, 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 young couple, um, newly married. And we're all in the video van. And then the, 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 the wife, um, Caroline, she came into the van. And I remember it clear as day, she asked the guy, Oh, have you got that? Very sort of Welsh accent. She like, have you got that film, Dirty Dancing? <laughs> and the moment she said Dirty Dancing, everybody turned around like she'd asked for a porno or something. It was like, it was like What?
3: <laughs> Dirty
2: what? Dirty dancing? And um, we didn't know what it was at that yeah. point. And then literally two weeks later, every fucking house in the street had seen Dirty Dancing. And, and, and then every mum in the street was like, Patrick Swayze. That's, <laughs> that's it. You know, it was, it, was, it was just, it was just, it just blitzed yeah. through the village.
0: You ever seen the tra- uh trailer Park boys? A TV show from Canada?
2: I haven't seen Trailer Park Boys. Uh, no. I've heard of it obviously a yeah. lot, but yeah, I, I just I've, I got so much TV to catch yeah. up on. It's unreal. Uh,
0: you're busy, but like I I was just thinking of like um there's a character that just wears black like a black t shirt and uh has sort of Patrick Swayze-esque hair and black Amazing. jeans and and they always call him Dirty Dancing or or <laughs> Patrick Brilliant. Swayze and it just made them laugh. So just but, see, I'm about, I'm so far behind on TV.
2: Yeah. yeah only about two months ago did I start watching the US version of The Office.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And, I, yeah. and now I'm... Like, it was only about two months ago we started watching it. I'm about five seasons in. And I'm just, yeah. it's just amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's just so easy to watch.
0: Although American shows, like, I like I really enjoyed watching The Office. And I, you know, just I watched Parks and Recs uh, finally recently over uh, the last few months back. And yeah, um, it's like, they're all so fun, but they're so long... Like seasons, yeah, it's like 24 episodes a season, 22, 24. That's kind of regular. Whereas, what I pre- appreciate about you know British uh, television shows, there's like six, six and then a, you're done. Six and you're done. If you're lucky, you get a second season. But I think that but the thing with <laughs>
2: the US one is almost that, that idea of if you hit the magic number of like nine seasons, you would get syndication, then right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you just, you guaranteed that your show is on yeah. somewhere in the world every hour of the day. So almost. Making money the, as well. That's sort yeah. the, of the theory, isn't yeah. it? It's like once you hit 200 episodes, that's it. It'll play somewhere in the world at some point.
0: Yeah. You know, the show is Sabrina the Teenage Witch with uh, Melissa J. Yeah, yeah. Like, so there's a guy in, in uh, the college um, season, like I guess towards the end of the show, um, named Trevor Lasore, and he's in like the skateboard kid back in the 80s so just a really random bullshit robotic right. skateboard film um, so yeah he he's like uh, a pal of one of my friends from back home and he knew him when he was living in Hollywood so he you know he plays music and stuff and he came to my hometown to play like I played a gig with him mm. once he's a nice guy but yeah he just basically just gets a little bit of residuals yeah, yeah a little bit of Skrilla here and there from because that show just plays nonstop everywhere like yeah. you know numerous different channels so it's just like must be nice. Where, where are you from originally? So? Uh, Virginia. Oh, okay. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. So But, you know, like if we go back to you, because uh, the f- first question I sort of asked you about co- coming to, um, well, going to Indonesia and you being from, you know, Wales and having that transition. I mean, you know, I'm from Virginia. I never would have thought when I was a kid growing up that I'd be living in London. yeah, yeah. Working at one of the greatest cinemas in the world and having a chat with you. So it's like, who knows? Like you know, you don't know where you you're can't gonna plan where Pat's yeah. going to take you. It's weird. Yeah. It's like
2: when I was out there, you know, there was always a there was always a part of me that was like a little bit sort of ah, oh, I've achieved what I've achieved there, mm-hmm. but I hadn't done it back here yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the timing felt right after we did the ray two to pursue something that would be different. Yeah, and I think in a weird way it was like I was pursuing a, a different project that was actually gonna was gonna take me to 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 budapest we were planning a film that was gonna be made It was an American studio film we were gonna shoot out in budapest and I was like oh okay well you know it's a two hour flight from from UK we should probably move to UK and that became an impetus to go there. Yeah that film didn't happen in the end <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but then but then we yeah. were prepping for 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 gangs and then yeah. before we did gangs I wrote a parcel and was like I need to know what it's like to make a film in the UK before I go off and do a TV show. Yeah. Um, I needed to know what the differences were, what the day hours were, what to expect from a work week, what what you know, whether whether my expectations were too high or too low in terms of what I could achieve, because I'd only worked within the Indonesian system. So I needed yeah. to know what it was like to work in the UK system. And so that yeah. became an opportunity then to kind of look, to push to push for that and pursue that. But I, it was always a thing where I was like, as much as I, I I adore Indonesia with all my heart, like I love my experiences there. And I met some absolutely amazing people. And then, you know, and then, you know, not to be like cheesy about it, but people out there are incredible. Like yeah. it was like it was so warm and 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 hospitable, and like you know, you we did um we did a documentary before we did anything like on in terms of like you know fiction filmmaking out there, and the documentary yeah. was about CLAT, the martial arts form. Yeah, and you know, we were meeting we were meeting lots of different people, lots of different families who had CLAT as a major part of their life, and you know, we were meeting guys who who lived in very, very modest houses in the, in the middle of, like, a coconut fo- um jungle sort of thing, you know, forest type of thing. And they didn't have a huge amount to their name, but they were insistent on feeding all 10 of us crew and making sure that we felt welcomed in their home. That's awesome. And to just have that kind of, like, instinctive desire to make a good impression, it just kind of, like, it just, yeah, it just... It, it, it really spoke a lot to the people of that country in a way that it was everywhere we went, we were welcomed. Yeah, you know, it was like it. it you know, Indonesia is a predominantly Muslim society, mm-hmm. and so you know, when we were going and doing tagrakies of that, we were just like invited in to all these different masjids, these different mosques, in order to get kind of like see sermons being conducted and watch the prayer call and stuff like that. You know, we were, you know, foreign guys turning up out of the blue. You know what I mean, and being being invited in with open arms of that, and so. It was this weird time where the sort of the <laughs> the movie treatment of Islam at that time was in such a low point for you know for lot yeah. of political and you know world reasons that were going on at the time. But I got, I got, I, I started to get really sick and annoyed about the fact that the the sounds of the prayer call were being used to be tools to st- strike fear in an audience, mm. and I was I couldn't understand it. Like it was like because for me there was a separation between, you know, sorry, I'm taking us on a serious path no, for a bit, no, but no. there was a separation between a person who's a terrorist and a person who's religious. Yeah. There's a separation. there. And so I, I got sick of seeing like a lot of Hollywood films use that prayer call as something to be like, oh, now you've got to have the fear and the tension be t- building from it. So there was a conscious decision when we were doing like the raid one to be like, Ico's going to start doing his prayer. Yeah. I remember he's that a, scene. He's yeah. a Muslim hero. Yeah. Um, and it's it's it. It was an opportunity to be like, he's going to pray. He's not going to preach throughout the film. He never says a single word about his faith, because that was my experience of being out there. Met a lot of people. I spent a lot of time. Like I'd say, probably like ninety percent of the crew I worked with were all were all Muslim, and never once did. Any of them try to force religion onto me. Yeah. Never tried to convince me of it.
0: It's all like singular and stuff. And yeah, very much so. And that's why like what you did from that scene as well. Yeah. When he's, he's about to go and he
2: has it was like his moment. spiritual and physical yeah. sort of like preparation for, yeah. for doing what he did. And, and that was really important to me. And it was like it was interesting because it was just something we put in there to kind of be able to say, like, oh, eco, this is part of your culture. We're gonna we're gonna embrace this and mm-hmm. put this in this film and, and show it to people. And and most people were cool with that. We yeah. had one walkout. We're, really yeah we went <laughs> to a new york screening which i was surprised by i didn't expect in new york <laughs> we had one screening where as soon as it showed him praying guy got up and left and just like and it, but it was, it was one person yeah you know what i mean like everyone else stayed and had a yeah. good time but it was just like it was just it was just it was just weird to see that one reaction poem. yeah
0: can't please everyone I you
2: guess, can't but, no 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 <laughs> but
0: no no i think that's beautiful though because like um actually my original co-host of this podcast is from jakarta oh okay. and she she was living here in the uk and uh we still she still works on our other podcast franchise i Very mentioned good. earlier um but yeah she was working here at the cinema and she actually was the one who really helped kickstart me into like getting this podcast going and stuff so she was my co-host oh, and fantastic unfortunately had to move back due to visa issues and right stuff. okay but um yeah i'm sure she would like be so thrilled to hear the way you speak because it it's just like it's a really lovely sentiment to like show yeah you know their culture that way I mean that film's beautiful like really The Raid it's like the reason why I was going to say the reason why we were talking a lot about like action films or horror films is because The Raid is like it's an action film but it's also very much a horror film yeah like it's because we were talking about it downstairs that's right it's really scary a scary film (laughs) at times like there's so much tension I had um, in scenes
2: I had a moment where I realized in the writing process I think it was where I realized I was making a survival horror film yeah and that the martial arts of it all was mainly a byproduct of the action discipline yeah it wasn't like it wasn't like oh this is your martial arts genre film so it has to follow the tropes of the genre from a martial arts perspective it was like we're going to follow the tropes of a survival horror yeah <laughs> and so it was and it was also that thing of it starts off like cuz it was like you know it's a SWAT team going into a building we had to feel like we had realistically depleted their resources so that they would go from being tooled up and armed up at the start and then be able to get to a place where now it's okay for it to be hand to hand and close quarters combat before then yeah. it had to be guns and weapons. And it'd be like, Oh, after, it, it, after the very last bullet is fired, then it can be a martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. Film.
0: No, it's, I, I love how it kind of gets to that point. Cause you can kind of just really see it. And it even like, there's a point where um, basically like I guess it's just like Rama and I'm trying to think if it, it might I have sorry, I'm really bad with the names of the characters, but Rama It's probably
2: ten years ago for me now, yeah. so I'm gonna be really bad.
0: But you have you have um uh, I, I guess Joe Taslim at that point had Jaka, yeah. Had been killed. And then you it's like basically the the older gentleman who led everyone into oh Washu, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, and then there's like one other guy, and they, run, yeah, and they <laughs> they've run out of it's like they've run out of ammo and stuff. Not Bull.
2: is it Bo? I think it is the guy who gets they go when they go in the drugs lab.
0: Yeah, he's the one, he's the one who him and Rama have a bit of a beef it first and then Rama kind of saves him ah yeah 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 yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. 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 so So, that is the name of the actor I know the name of the actor just not the name (laughs) of the character (laughs) yeah I think it was Bull that sounds about right yeah
0: but there's that 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 shift where it goes from like Rama sort of takes over and he like does it it's like I was gonna I wanted to talk about Jackie Chan because he starts to feel like oh man this is like a Jackie Chan film because he just like springs up yeah. like from that one level up to the upstairs bit, and he's hanging off the side of the wall and it's just like this really badass sort of moment because it's like you've had a lot of like fear and like yeah terror and just trying to survive this maze of like such a suffocating building and then it's just like all right we're gonna fucking switch into action mm-hmm. mode and he's just like jumping up things and it's really awesome and you were talking about um bruce bruce lee as well and i think like silat it's really an amazing uh um, martial art because it is like it's almost like you know the Bruce Lee's like um, talking about being like water where it's yeah. like it's like you know flows and it's really like you know you want to be like really flowing and move through things but also just like you can take down a wall just really and that that's was, what
2: it looks like to that see. was what was so fascinating about Silat was that it, it felt like because I, I obviously like you know growing up as a kid I'd seen lots of martial arts films and lots of different martial arts styles but Silat I'd never seen before and then um, my wife had taken me to uh it was like an, 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 a national event like a championship.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I remember being struck by how versatile it looked because it was high attacks and low attacks. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, you could strike up high at someone's face and then come down and bring an elbow into someone's knee and it was just like <laughs> was, So I just found that really exciting, but then also that there was um there was a flow of energy to the movements, mm-hmm. and like momentum and it was all about the twist and turn of the body and then there was a rhythm to it all. And I think when I um, I apologize. I've, I've told this a couple of times, but it, but it, it was key to me. Was when I watched, um, was writing Moranto, and I stuck on armor of God while I was writing, and yeah. and I put armor of God on, and then I kind of stopped looking at the screen for a bit, but the sound was still playing. I was typing away at a scene. I just figured something out, and as I was typing, I just it's the fight where Jackie Chan's fighting all the monks. I remember being super excited about that scene. I've always loved that scene since I was a kid. I still love it now. And I, as I was writing away the script, I just started curing the sort of percussive elements to the blocks and kicks. Yeah. And then I, was, I it's that weird moment where I was like, oh, fuck me. The choreography is like, it's got a signature time to it. Like music. It's like yeah. a sheet of music almost. Yeah. Like these block, block kicks, block, block kicks, block, 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 punch. It's like percussion. Sorry. So when I got into the, the choreography room with the boys and I was like, it should feel like music. So whenever they were designing stuff, we'd be clapping along to figure out what the rhythm needed to be. That's awesome. And then, um, and then that kind of gave it its like you know its its vibe, its sort of its, its intensity. And then the, the guys who did the music, Fajar and uh, and and I call him Ogi Aryo Prayoggy, Fajar Yuskamal is the other guy. They would say that the action scenes were easy for them to compose to because they could already hear the rhythm to it. Yeah. And and so because the the action had a certain rhythm. It meant that the camera had to have a certain rhythm. It meant that the cuts had to have a certain rhythm, and then it all started to piece together, and it became like I'm awful for rhythm. Like if you give me a, an instrument, I'll never be able to play it. <laughs> I can just about clap along to a song. Yeah, um,
0: you're British, but, yeah. yeah. You've exactly. heard it, uh, Binnie and the Jets, right? And the British people clapping <laughs> yeah, on the yeah. drum on the wrong beat, I'm you know, just like
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm the I'm the one you see sort of waiting to clap at the right time and missing it by about a beat <laughs> Yeah, but um and, and but that was the sort of the that was the thing when it came to the edit i could just find it in that yeah and that that was the sort of the the, the key moment really
0: yeah but like some people like are just that way they can see mm. they can see like you know rhythm and they could see it in a, in a film or something and yeah. find that rhythm like yeah the edits are really crazy i kind of wanted to talk about that as well because i mean we started off like i believe singing in heaven because we were i we were joking about uh eraser head
2: eraser but yeah.
0: Like it, some of the cuts and edits and stuff really remind me of Lynch. Like I okay. don't know if you like. I'm a huge fan of Lynch. Yeah, if that's like something that, that if just that would be. A,
2: that might be a subconscious thinking. Yeah. It's it's weird for me because like when I will I I, I openly say how much I've you know homaged, um, but learned from, um, Peck and Pa and John Wu mm-hmm. when it comes to action staging. They always let you have a good view of the of the location before anything kicks off. Yeah. It's almost like the camera's drawing the map for you in your head of where things are. And then when the chaos ensues, you're never lost. Yeah. So you look yeah, at yeah. the wild bunch, I know every inch of that that fort, that that place where the final battle happens. We have walked there slowly, step by step with them. We've spent time looking at where all the vantage points are, where the guys might be from up above taking fire at them. We know exactly where the Gatling gun is positioned. We know where the big long table would be in order for them to kind of use and shield themselves from. We know where all the kegs of like explosives are down in the main courtyard. We know where all of those things are so that when Pekka goes into that, that scene and things kick off and, you know, with that amazing Elliptical editing style that I am constantly jealous of and trying to ape, but can't quite get there yet. <laughs> I'm never lost. Yeah, I'm. I'm always aware of where I am in any given room, even though that thing goes crazy with four different perspectives and four different POVs to tell the story yeah. with. Yeah, yeah. And um, and, and that's 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 the sort of the, the key to it. So whenever I've been designing action sequences since then, it's always that thing of like I'm always trying to find my like I got to tell the audience where they are. And, it, and it, like I started to sort of like self analyze a little bit of some of those camera movements and some of those edits where it's like, I'll show you an attack what's happening over here, but then I'm going to pan over to the left and then tee up the next piece of action so that you can connect the dots of where that happened versus where the next thing is going to happen. Yeah. And it's, it's those constant visual reminders of this is where we are in the room. Yeah. Are you yeah. okay now? Have we assimilated? Great. Here's the next beat. Yeah, and that, that's always been the sort of the, the approach then. But yeah, but the Lynch thing's interesting because
0: well, it's I think um, one of the things that really reminded me of it was uh, we, the scene we were actually talking about downstairs. So we were talking about the uh, the shot with Ico in the wall, basically, and yeah. the guy with the machete just starts stabbing through the wall. And yeah, yeah. you were, you were talking about um, how the special effects guys <laughs> yeah. had like with the blade had was pulling it too fast, and it just was like. Yeah. Creating a bit of a shock for Ico, but um which was funny. Sorry for you listeners. You weren't (laughs) a part of that conversation. You were privy. You should have been here.
2: Oh, it was so funny when everyone talked about it.
0: But um but yeah, we we were discussing that, but that that scene it that's man, when it I think it's like just that weird transition where it just kind of goes into the wall. Like
2: I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: that feels like a racer. it reminds me of the uh, radiator. Uh, yeah. 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 it goes yeah. into the radiator okay. and you see the lady I can just see singing. that now. Like, Cause I know the yeah. shot. You mean the one yeah. when it's
2: traveling along the blade towards the little hole in the wall. Yeah. And then, and then just it just pulls of... out and back along the yeah, face. It's so, <laughs> there's a little bit of that, I guess, in anyway, that lynching thing of it's sort of like when also that little bit of when, you know, I think in, in blue velvet, yeah, When you start going into the, the thickness of the grass and mm-hmm. the garden, you know, and you see yeah, yeah. all the creatures underneath and things like that, <laughs> it's this, that are, <laughs> the danger beneath the surface yeah, yeah. type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. No, that's, that's really interesting. I never thought of that before. That might be, that might be a subconscious thing. Yeah. I've never, I've never thought like, you know, I've watched so much of Lynch, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And, and been a massive fan of his work. But I've never consciously been aware of an influence on what I've done. Maybe because I've, I tell stuff quite linearly and, and, yeah, know, and yeah. I've, I've avoided the, the abstract quite a lot. But um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, it's nice to see like a bit of abstract, like sort of ideas kind of seep in as well, because I mean, it is such a brutally real film, like, you know, and you're there, but it's also lends itself to be fantastical because mm. it is less like, it's almost it was, like, it's like, dude, this guy, this one man, he's just yeah. <laughs> having to go through, it, I mean, you know, it's it's very much like um, a lot of those old martial arts films. Like I was thinking a lot about, like you know, Bruce Lee and Game of Death, like having to go through yeah, the yeah, tower yeah. basically just to get to the boss. But, you know, and that's thing. I mean,
2: there was there was a lot of talking again running because there's a lot of Raimi in there.
0: Mm.
1: I know uh, me, me
2: and love Matt, Raimi. my DP, we'd always like we have a shorthand way of communicating. There was always moments where I'd be like, when when he goes getting chased by the machete gang, he mm. bursts through the door and then we're racing towards him, we start to dutch I remember saying to, and then he gets the door with Dutch the other way. I remember saying to Matt, "I was like, oh, it's a Sam Raimi shot, mate. Let's, <laughs> let's do let's do one of those tracking Dutch angle Sam Raimi shots." Yeah, and straight away he like knew exactly what I meant. Yeah, because we, we both watched the same films. But um, but yeah, that 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 progressive thing of the the progression, sorry, of the hero going through hell. Um, there was a moment when after the machete guy fight, and he. Jumps out the window with him. They crash down through onto the balcony down below, and he jumps back in through the window, and then like you know, you know rolls back into safe, relative safety. We put a we 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 made sure we had a scene there where he comes out of the doorway and he's all kind of discombobulated from what's happened to him mm-hmm. to show a vulnerability and to show this thing of it being like, oh my god, if bad guy comes around the corner right now with a gun or a knife, he's fucked. Yeah. And it was important to have yeah. a moment there where he's like he doesn't have the energy to keep going right now. Yeah. And then when he does get grabbed, obviously it's the <laughs> the amazing twist. It's his brother. And then <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Blah, 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 blah. blah. But, um, but it, there was always that idea of like, so when he gets grabbed and pulled into that room, when you look at it, his ability to fight back before he realizes his brother is minimal. Yeah. He's and, just um, like, oh. yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's like, and he'd be dead in any other situation. Yeah.
0: Use that a lot in the second film as well because he's obviously it's even
2: grander. But
0: there's like moments where um, Rama is like gone, he's been through so much, yeah, and then he just kind of gets his ass kicked by a couple of people, that's right. And then he has to like it's almost like he has to build himself back up to like you know, and it's the psychological damage of
2: what he's doing as well. Like that was the thing. I mean, we you know, we strove for it, whether we landed it or not is another thing, but we strove for this idea of how he would lose himself in the violence of it. Mm-hmm. So there was a whole moment when he's, cause he's obviously undercover with these criminals, these gangsters doing all sorts of terrible shit. And he comes under attack when he's in the taxi, uh, by all these guys who were trying to stab at him. And they end up in a fight inside this cafe. And then he grabs one of them and slams a head into the hot plate. Yeah. And for a moment he becomes sadistic. And, we were, I remember when we were shooting that scene the plan was always to kind of say how far can we take this so that the audience start to wonder oh fuck me is he becoming the bad guy here?
0: Yeah I was actually wondering that as well when I saw it. I and got, we stretched uh, it as
2: much as we could before yeah. he then realizes snaps out of it and pulls the guy away from the hot the plate and throws him to the floor. Yeah. And it was always that thing of it being you know <laughs> we probably went a bit too far but, um, but it was always that thing of it I like the idea of being able to make the audience start to question the validity of their hero.
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great sort of plot device, really. Yeah. Like you know to use because I don't know. Like I, I kind of wanted to ask you a little about about like eco and uh, uh, Yayan because like yeah, you, you these two guys they were just like practices, like right, like they were just, yeah uh, they practitioners, were yeah practitioners of silat. So like you, how do like when did you actually meet them at first?
2: I met. I met Ico when I was working on a documentary. Okay. Yeah. So Ico was the student of the master that we were filming. Okay. Yeah. And the the master was his grandfather. And um, I think his grandfather or uncle, I always get this wrong. So a huge apologies to Ico for me getting it wrong. (laughs) Uh, uh, He was an amazing, amazing person, amazing man. And we were following him as he was, you know, uh, sort of in in the twilight of his career as a a teacher. of And and so when we were there doing research Ico was one of the students and it was one of those moments where as soon as we saw him, as soon as we were starting to film research stuff, materials for it, we were like, oh, who's this guy? Yeah. Cause he was just so amazing <laughs> unique, and talented and yeah. gifted and your camera just locked on him. There'd be like 15, 20 other people in the room, but you just, you just locked on him. You had such a screen presence about him. Yeah. And so then, um, I started to learn more about the martial art. I learned more about the philosophy behind it. I learned more about its integration in society in Indonesia. It's fascinating stuff in terms of what actually goes on with silat. Like it's it's used for so many different purposes. It's not purely like a self defense thing. It's 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 um it's a means of like a lot of martial arts are. But it's ingrained within a means of passing down life lessons mm-hmm. to kids as well. You know, yeah. I teach them the responsibility of the martial art. There are there's one style of silat. Um, Called chimande uh, Silat. and chimande, the style is more about it's like joint manipulation and breaking bones almost. You know what I mm. mean? But then there's a thing and called chimande oil, which is to heal broken bones. And then the <laughs> idea is is that if you go in a fight with someone and you hurt them using the martial, art, it's on you to help them recuperate and get better. Oh wow! Yeah. There's a responsibility for the power you have. Yeah. But then we met we met amazing people. There's a there's a gentleman. Um, who ran a rehabilitation clinic in, um, I think it was called, I'm going to get it wrong, I think it was Chianjur, I think it was Chianjur um, in West Java. And he ran a rehabilitation clinic for people who were suffering from alcohol addiction, drug addiction, or, you know, abuse and stuff like that. And um, he, he, it was like a commune that was, like, there were no borders, no barriers, but like all embedded within this village community most amazing place I've ever been. And uh, he ran it um, by himself and and a bunch of volunteers and and then the community that lived around there. And basically you had like maybe like 50 to a hundred patients there ingratiated. uh, They were were part of that community. Sorry. So they were, they would sweep the floors. They would take the laundry to the river to wash the laundry of all the people who lived there Mm -hmm. and they would do chores and everything else. And then, he would um, every day he would prepare. There's a uh, like a herbal medicine called jamu to drink, and he would go off and then it'd be like it's like a mixture of like leaves and then bark from trees and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And he would go off and make the like, buckets of this jamu and then pour it and then they'd feed it to all of the patients. So they'd yeah. have this drink. But then at some point in the day, they would go down to a practice area down at the bottom of the hill and do silat, and it would be like you have instructors teaching them moves and stuff like that. And it's all about conditioning the body and, you know, cleansing the mind and everything else. And you'd see people who had been there for about um, two weeks at the back of the line, arms frail like mosquito bitten, everything, like just, like, you know, weak arms, barely able to lift them up. And then you go forward row after row after row to the front row where the people had been there for about like five, six months. And they looked healthy, fit. Like, you know, proper athletes almost, you know yes. what I mean? And it was just, it was just the most amazing sort of place. And it was like, it was it was like non profit. Just, it was just like it was the guys calling almost to do this. And it was just a, it was a remarkable experience doing that documentary because I just got to learn so much about the philosophy of this martial art. And sorry, it's a really long way of telling you that my then first experience of seeing martial arts, of see that represented in, on screen was in Indonesia on television, where it was some fucking bullshit TV show where it would be like a guy jumping up into the air and turning into like a Jaguar and shooting lasers and shit <laughs> yeah. like that. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. it's all the mystical stuff that's got, that had absolutely nothing to do with the martial art of sea that I knew from, you know, studying you know, with these people and then learning and hearing their stories. And so when I spoke to Ico about doing Maranta, which is our first film. Yeah. I remember saying to them all, like, the, the guys, him and the team that were involved in the choreography, and Yain was part of that choreography yeah. team at, at that point then, mm-hmm. Um, saying to them, "I want to do something. that on is what you study. I don't want to do something that makes light of it. I don't want to do something that is inaccurate." Yeah. Um. And so we had a remit when, when I remember saying to you at the time, "I said, look." Right now, obviously, the world of, like, Thai action cinema is, like, booming. It was huge. You know what I mean? We owe a great debt to what Tony Jaa and Pana Rikitra we were doing out, and, and Pratcha it was doing in um, Thailand because those films ushered in the interest of, oh, there are other territories in Southeast Asia that are doing martial arts. What yeah, else is yeah. there? And that opened the doors for us to be able to do our thing. I remember saying to Eiko, and the guy said, oh, we can't do an on-back. We can't do, like, you know... Uh, uh, slow-mo replays of stunts and acrobatics that can't be what we do we need something different to dis- differentiate ourselves doing a very classic sort of genre trope of the story mm-hmm. of a guy out of his depth traveling to a new town and everything else and uh, the fish out of water thing but that was the big boss to me that was bruce lee's big boss that <laughs> yeah 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 telling in a way yeah and um but the style of the, the action had to be different so i was that's when i said to him i said look we're not going to do anything super flashy we're going to take the choreography that you guys designed. Let's make sure it's accurate to the martial arts style. And um, let's find something that feels grounded and real. And that was our remit. That was that was sort of our marching orders then to go off and do that first film. And then that started evolving then into what we did with the raid, which was kind of like a totally different beast then because in the raid, it was like we were able to kind of approach it from a, a more aggressive standpoint because the psychology of the action was different. In the first, yeah, film, Miranda, yeah, yeah. we Eco had to evade had to avoid the fight, you had to not want to get involved, you had to want to take the path to least resistance, you know, in order to get out of a situation until things had escalated to a point where he had to take the fight to them. Yeah, but in the raid, from the very beginning of it, it's kill or be killed. Yeah, <laughs> so then the psychology flipped, yeah. and then we were able to be like more economical, and we were able to say, huh. I'm saying to the guys like Eko, would be like, oh, you know, what if I take the knife here and then I stab him in the thigh? And I'd be like, yeah, that's great, Ico. But he could maybe get up still. What if you drag the knife across the thigh, then rips his whole muscle <laughs> and groups, and then he stays down for the rest <laughs> yeah. of the film? Yeah. So that was kind of the thing. It was like, you can't leave a single person in the ability to be able to get back up. They have to all feel like once you've gone through them, their story is over. And so that was the whole thing. It was like, so it was like, oh, stab in the kneecap, twist the knife. You're going to separate the kneecap. Um, all of those little extra details came yeah. from there. Then
0: no, I, I love all those scenes and like like um, it's kind of interesting because there's a lot of those fight scenes in the film where like there'd be numerous people where he'd be fighting and he'll have like um, you know like three or four guys at one time like yeah. or like the raid two in the car the car scene yes. and stuff and there's like you know he's just it's a constant battle and he like will knock out knock some guy. To the side then start fighting this guy and then try you know escaping into the back pulling someone back beating them up but then they just k- kind of keep coming back mm-hmm. until he's just like yeah i need to basically just end this like yeah, yeah, you know yeah. and he does something to end them or someone helps him you know assist with the guns and stuff you know yeah, but like yeah. it's a it's a, like kind of a crazy those the, all those fight scenes are really awesomely choreographed and just like really awesome like everything about them I think it's just awesome that, you know, like you said, you got Yan Yan, uh be there to be a choreo- choreographer um, on Mirantau. But like, it's it's like, also, like dude, those guys are incredible. Like on, on screen, like they look amazing. They Their acting is incredible. So it's like that must have been like just such a thrill to have. Yeah. Like, dude, you guys are awesome at your martial arts. But
2: like, yeah.
0: holy shit.
2: Like, Yayan was a revelation to us because Yayan wasn't supposed to be in the film. Yeah. And then um, what happened was Yian was just going to be the choreographer and then maybe be a fighter in one of the scenes or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the plan for Yian initially. And um, we had this role of Eric in Moranto that I was struggling with because it was a 50-50 split between the fighting and the acting. And Anna, my line producer on Maranto, Raid and the Raid in Raid too, she just, she suggested one day, she's like, why don't you just give Yian a shot and see if he's if he can handle the drama? And I remember him. Yeah, I mean, it's worth a try. Let's see yeah. how he is. I remember just giving him this <laughs> fucking three-page monologue to read. And he read it, learnt it, read it, learnt it, learnt it, learnt it. Did it on video. And he was really good. Like, he had a natural <laughs> like, you know, instinctive sort of ability for performance. Yeah. And um, and so, Yayan kind of came right out the box almost. Just like, ready to go. And so it was super thrilling to kind of see the audience reaction to him as Mad Dog then in The Raid. Yeah. Because, you know, in The Raid then we started introducing a lot lot of other characters, a lot of other people all vying for attention, all pretty strong in terms of performances, you know? And then you get to this thing where it's like, how do I subvert what you would normally get from a film like this? Let's make the, you know, and and I remember, I remember being a big fan of like, those Hong Kong films like Dragon Lord with Jackie Chan where, the finale is Jackie and Mars fighting against Wang In-sik. And it's a two-on-one, but the the odds are stacked in the hero's favor because it shows you how much of a badass the bad guy is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was always the stuff that I really loved. And so I thought, well, how can we do this then with 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 Iron because he's such a good fighter? Yeah. And So we were like, yeah, it's got to be the two brothers versus Mad Dog. It just like the maths worked out so well for it. Yeah, and, that scene's so good. And it was like, yeah. we have to make sure that <laughs> even with even with the world's strongest fluorescent tube lighting in his <laughs> neck that would normally crumble apart but holds up when it's in this person's throat on this yeah. film, um, and he's bleeding out, he's still trying to kill them before he bleeds yeah. out. He's and still going for it. It's
0: like to harp back on, like, you know, we are talking about like Eco going through the film and it gets to the point where he meets up with his brother, but at that point, he's so exhausted. He's yeah. been through so much. So it's good of a fighter as he is and it clearly you see throughout the entire film it makes so much sense that like he's still just barely hanging on with his brother helping him who's fresh yeah is maybe not as good of a fighter as he is but then you know mad dog comes in and he's completely fresh yeah yeah. and yeah uh, and wants to fight yeah and wants to fight and he's fucking awesome so it's like (laughs) you know it's like a really that's Amazing the, sort of dynamic. Yeah,
2: and and then cuz the brothers injured himself obviously cuz he's been like beaten and tortured but he's had his hand stabbed as yeah, well yeah. he's been hung hanging by his arms. So yeah, it is like it's like the two depleted heroes having to really pull all the, all the stops in order to stop the, the insane bad guy.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: I love that, man. It's a great film and uh, Yayan and the second film is like the drama well, that
2: was, that was me at my Woo! most sort of like, you know, <laughs> self-indulgent. That was yeah. like, when it came to the second one, it was like, I had a contractual runtime that I had to adhere to. Mm-hmm. And it gave me enough to be super selfish in terms of what I wanted to put in there. And I felt like I'm never going to get another chance to do a film like The Raid 2. And I thought, I'm going to grab it by the horns and just go for it. And so, yeah. you know, it's like, I mean, the first one was such a blast to make. And I loved working with Iron, And so it was like, I don't care that everyone knows it's the same actor as the first film. Mm-hmm. I don't care that he still sort of looks the same, but we just changed it a little bit of his appearance a fair bit. For me, it was like, it's just a joy to go to work and then work with the iron on a film. Yeah. Just, I mean, yeah. like
0: even going back to like Joe Taslim in the first yeah. film, it was like, it was a shame that he died. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's a shame. You if you couldn't have Yayan in the second one, and it's like awesome that he's in it because it's just like
2: me and, so good. Me and Joe talk quite a lot, right? And so we we've we been chatting lately and we're always trying to find something to work on together because mm. it's this weird thing where Joe and I became really good friends on the back of the first film. You know what I mean? We 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 met on the first one and we became good friends, hung out a lot together, you know, did you know family stuff together and all that, blah, blah. blah. And it's the weirdest thing because he he literally was only in part two as a photograph. Yeah. Yeah, right? yeah. and I've never worked with him since. Ah. And it's that thing where it's yeah. like, you know, and the same, you know, the same with Eco. I've only worked with him on, I've worked on three films, but like those three films, I've worked with them since, and it's like yeah. I've seen their careers go on these amazing trajectories. Yeah. And we've always talk, we always we always talk about doing stuff together. Yeah, but we haven't found that project yet. We're yeah. looking for it. Like it's not like we're not trying, but like, awesome. it's, it's all about timing too. You know, yeah. it'll be like, you know, it'll be like Havoc happened, and then I come off Havoc, and then they go, Oh, what are you guys doing, then I mean, he goes now shooting was full. You know, and then, <laughs> yeah. you know, Joe will be yeah. setting up his th- stuff for next yeah. year and all that, you know. They got I think they got another season of warrior that they're gonna shoot yeah. and everything else. And so so it's a, it's that thing of like where we all end up horribly sort of being out of sync with each other. And because it takes me like a year and a half to go through a project, more than a year and a half normally, you know, it's like it's it's a it's a it's a, it's a good amount of time that gets consumed just doing a project mm-hmm. um from the initial idea until Delivery of it that um it's hard then to be able to you know guarantee that me eco and joe will be in the same spot at one time
0: yeah absolutely yeah but I, um, yeah i went to ask you like that must be just like so thrilling to see their careers like not, not only maybe. yourself like but like they were there just kind of starting out with you and just really kind of getting their you know careers off the grounds and the raid just it's, blew
2: up and it's been great to see yeah. and it's like it's amazing to think that I was, it's that thing of like we've reached that point now where my involvement with Ico was only for a small portion of his career. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. The, like I check his IMDB credits and I'm like, oh fuck yeah, it was only the first three things and he's gone off and done about seven or eight things since yeah. then. And it's amazing to kind of like see the the, the progression of their careers and like you know, all power to them to keep doing it. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so cool. You know, and it's, it's exciting to see projects where it's like it gets announced and it's like, you know, Yian's got something big coming up next year and then, you know, Eko's doing Expendables was four now, and then you know Joe just came off the back of being the coolest Sub Zero has ever lived. Yeah, it's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> well, that, you know,
0: plus he was in like one of the Fast films. Like he's in you the know, Fast series like, film, Jesus. yeah,
2: and he was in one of the Star Wars Star Trek films. Sorry, yeah. The other boys were in the Star Wars film. Yeah, um, that must
0: have been cool too, as
2: well. Just that was like a Star weird phone Wars. call because, like, because they filmed me first. Yeah, so it was like I think one of JJ's guys had reached out, mm-hmm. and it was this weird thing where I was like, "Oh, we need you to sign an NDA to take a phone call." And so right there and then you're like, okay, what this? what's this? <laughs> and I don't think I knew about I don't think I don't think I knew that he was when Star was at that time. I'm not sure if I did or not. But I remember signing his NDA and I was at my mom and dad's house. And then suddenly their house rings. <laughs> their house phone rings. And I'm picking up the phone. And they're like my parents just kind of sat there like looking at me, trying to figure out what it is. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I was like, remember now I've signed an NDA. I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then now on the phone and then they start saying about like, oh, we really want like Iko and Yain and the boys to be in um, in the new Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. And my fucking jaw might as well have just fallen off yeah. my face and just hit the ground. And I was like, wow. I was like, okay, uh, let me take care of that. And then so when I went back to Indonesia then it was like having a chat with the boys and explaining to them why they need to do this, why it would be an incredible opportunity no matter what the scene is, no matter how big or small the role is, like just do it, do it, do it. You'll become part of something that'll be history. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? And they, they have a yeah. really cool scene
0: too. Yeah, uh, like, uh, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. I
2: think they I think they I think they might have shot more. Oh really? I yeah. think so. I think there was a there was a, yeah, there it was a set piece.
0: It's been a while since I've seen it, but I know it's like the whole Han Solo on their ship and stuff. Yeah, and I think there, like was, there was like
2: I think there was a creature set piece thing. Yeah, from what I remember talking to the guys about yeah. before, I don't know if they I don't know if any of that footage just seen the light. Oh yeah, because there
0: was something down below their ship. That's right. You only kind of get a yeah. Like I think a gist I think I that yeah. I think
2: it was something to do with that creature. I'm probably ah. talking about shit I'm not supposed to talk about, but that was <laughs> a long time ago. I yeah, where are they going to be with that? It'd be great if, if any of that footage existed, if they could show, yeah. put that out there. But yeah. You
0: got to be in one of them though as well, right? No. Were, were you
3: not? No, oh, I was trying no, to
2: think. no, no. Here's the thing. I was I was busy working on something. I think I was doing press or something or other in Indonesia okay. at the time. And so I missed out on being able to do a set visit. Yeah. And then Yayan texts me to say, Han Solo is a really nice man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I find out that he's been hanging out with Harrison uh. Ford. And I was like, this is... Like, I've never been more envious yeah. in my life. It's like, it's like <laughs> Yayan, Yayan, Yayan has been with two people that I've always wanted to meet. Yeah. One was Harrison Ford. And the other one was when he went off to Japan and did a film with Takashi Miike. Yeah. And I, uh. my my wife and my daughter went out to the set to go and see Yayan when he was shooting. I couldn't go because I had work again. No, no. And there's a photograph. I got a photograph in the house of my little girl sat behaving herself behind Miike while he's directing a scene from uh, Yakuza <sighs> Poggin. Nice. I have no idea how lucky she is <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 but it'll be a hell of a long time before she sees any of his yeah films, you know? yeah good guy. maybe yeah. the great yokai war that's all yeah. right
0: <laughs> no that's cool like I don't know why I for some reason thought you'd just had like a you know because there was so many British directors that were getting to just pop in and do like a stormtrooper cameo or something like but you know you don't see their face. no either, no unfortunately I was I sure if you yeah, were an opportunity. Not, yeah. they'd
2: have a hard time finding a stormtrooper outfit to fit me though. <laughs> yeah we're by like how tall are you i'm six three yeah. it's not about the height it's the yeah. width you know what i mean yeah but like we're kind of like whether the door guys. opens or not i'm fucking bumping into yeah. it you know? like this
0: office that we are in is so tiny and like <laughs> paul is not nearly as tall as you but like i'm six six and yeah. it's just like so both of us in here we're tight with all these dvds and stuff so yeah yeah <laughs> But it's been super fun. I, I was just looking. I feel like we could just go on and on and on. But I know we wanted to go catch the tail end of the first raid. Yes. So yeah. yeah we should, uh, I don't know. I don't know what time that ends. So we should probably wrap up here.
2: But, well, it's been an um, absolute pleasure
0: yeah it's been so fun having you on. it's been fun just bullshitting about a lot of stuff and then actually talking about your films and then bullshitting a little bit so yeah it's good fun hopefully
2: people enjoy this yeah <laughs> and it's not uh, just I dipping think into a weird conversation yeah. <laughs> that's all it is
0: man it's weird conversations No, um one thing though because you you were talking about when you were downstairs you used to work in cinemas yeah so you said you would find weird stuff we talk about that sometimes. What's the weirdest thing you found in a cinema when you're playing?
2: <laughs> I don't know if I can tell that story. <laughs> oh, go,
0: go ahead. Oh, we've talked about some of the weirdest stuff we've
2: found. I, I so. used to work as an usher uh, in, in, in a showcase cinemas. And it was right around the peak time of that thing. It was like I think it was like Fight Club, uh, American Beauty had come out. I um, swear American Pie had come out. Yeah. I hope I'm not confusing my years around. Uh, years it was about 2001. So yeah, yeah. It was around with that time, mm-hmm. right? Um, 2000, 2001. I remember, I think Muppets in Space was about to come out because mm-hmm. I remember, because Matt, my DP, also, we both worked at that cinema at the same time. He got put on the concessions, I got put as an usher. So nice. Matt was <laughs> having to serve popcorn all day, <laughs> hearing the Celebrate Good Times song from the trailer of the Muppets, which uh, he hated after about hearing that yeah. about a thousand times. Yeah. And I would quite often tell the managers that, Oh, the kids playing up in Screen Eight. Go in and keep an eye on them. Make sure they're not misbehaving. I go and watch ten, fifteen minutes of Fight Club, um, (laughs) just because I could get to watch ten, fifteen minutes of Fight Club. Yeah. And then, um, and then anyway, but then yeah, part of the duties was to clean up the screens afterwards. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, horribly, and apologies to people listening to this for the for the mental image. Um, there was a jam-packed, sold-out screening of American Pie. And in the back row, as we were sweeping up, found an empty bottle of Mad Dog 2020. Completely empty, not a drop left in it. And uh, let's call it a prophylactic that was not <laughs> empty. That found its way into the bristles of my brush. So yeah, yeah. so it was a lovely, you know. But, it, but the cinema was great. Like, yeah. uh, we had a great time sort of working I there. I mean,
0: that's like the beauty of you know,
2: Despite the treasures you find. But, yeah.
0: Uh, the beauty of being an usher. I was going to say the beauty, but like the the pains of being an usher as well. Yeah. My co-host Phil is writing a, f- he's wrote, wrote a film and he's going to hopefully make a film Amazing. about what it's like to work here nice. at the Prince Charles Cinema. Um, his experiences of working here and stuff and I'm sure there'll be
2: Oh, man, be.
0: plenty of that sort of stuff yeah, yeah. around. In, or you know, yeah. stories
2: of really difficult directors, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nightmare yeah. When
0: they come in to do Q&As. This, like, <laughs> Welsh. Yeah, that, yeah, I mean, sorry, no, yeah, no, he's um, yeah. he's from he's from Scotland or yeah. Northern Ireland. I don't know, one of one of the other. Yeah, you went
2: to Vietnam and made some martial arts movie or something, <laughs> rather. You know, no idea who he might be referring to. <laughs>
0: yeah, no. And last question: Since you worked at a cinema, it's a very easy one. Um, we used to ask this all the time, and the last few special guests I've had are all been like from America and stuff, and they don't really quite understand this. Like when I asked Kevin Smith, he was like, "What?" But you are from the UK, so you should hopefully know. Popcorn. Sweet, salted, or mixed? Where are you going?
2: Uh I, I I like mix. Mixed. Yeah. I like it mixed. I, I, I find too much of one gets to me after a while. And yeah. I start to feel a bit sick. the mixed a good answer. is great.
0: I'm a salt guy, but like um salt gang is like is for us is top tier, but yeah. sweet is like we don't want to hear about it.
2: I think so. Seinfeld. Watching an episode of Seinfeld, and it might have been off that, had me curious to try the butter popcorn, but with milk duds and oh all. yeah 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 yeah. Never tried that yet.
0: It's a it's a solid sort of thing to do because I mean you, I mean not what are milk
2: duds exactly? Is that kind of like a? Sort is of that like a galaxy minstrel? Um, milk duds are. I'm trying to think. Um, they're a little bit more like. Uh,
0: I think they're a little bit like revels almost like revels right, but they're okay. similar to, i guess like m- to the minstrels as well right yeah. okay
2: so, so, you, so then you could have the sweet from then and the salt from the popcorn. Yeah, yeah yeah all right
0: it's a good it's a good like little mix but yeah i felt like you would at least be able to answer that yeah, and yeah, i'm yeah. glad that you could there we go like
1: yeah Amer- these american the
0: people don't know kevin smith was like uh what's it was like you know, they have butter popcorn there in America. Like, do you like that or would you
2: like a sweet, like toffee corn? Well, when I was in Indonesia, um, the cinema there was incredible as well. And they had this one caramel popcorn that was just incredible. Yeah like, where you wouldn't do mix because it was just so good. <laughs> yeah. Um my my mother in law, she would like if we she knew we would go into the cinema she'd ask us to buy an extra camera popcorn to bring home with us. <laughs> and sometimes, because it's all in the mall, Yeah, yeah. sometimes she'd go there just to buy camera popcorn, not yeah. see a movie, and then step back out to take the camera popcorn nice. with her.
0: I can imagine people doing yeah. that in America as well. Like, yeah, just yeah, like, give yeah. me some butter popcorn. So good. Because it's, it's <laughs> addictive as fuck. If yeah. you, like, any of these listeners listening to this never had it, you ever get to go to America, it's an experience.
2: What's the it's- worst screening you've ever had? Here? Yeah. It doesn't have to be here if that's a... Uh, potentially thorny question to ask how, how do you mean worse like um nightmare audiences nightmare yeah. crowd or something or, or things going wrong technical difficulties probably don't answer that last yeah, one nah, but yeah.
0: um yeah D- you know what arnie allnighter oh wow so you some of those are awesome yeah like it could, but
3: you does it become people- too much testosterone in one yes
0: room? yes some okay. of them like one in particular and it started even before it was just must've been a full moon or something. But like I came in and I had heard reports. It was whiplash whiplash was out at the time and someone got kicked out of whiplash because they were just drunk or causing too many issues or whatever it was. And then we, we, we started um, the Arnie marathon. I had come in and it, the first film had been on, but i uh, usher Like was like, Oh God, like there's, chaos going on down here wow. and it was like two guys that were just so drunk and they were fucking with people and we kicked them out but one of them was just kicking off
3: oh, no. and
0: then he had like a full bottle like a, of tequila that he left in there and he was like do I need to go get my stuff and we're like you're not going back in this screen at all and nearly like got in a fight with one of the guys and then um like one of our uh managers and like it was just like chaos and then Later, there's just these other guys just coming to the bar just being assholes and just starting stuff with me. I was at the bar for a bit. And then, like, another guy was trying to steal, like, a rope barrier that we mm. had that went over the door, like, one of those velvet rope barriers. To, like, when the cinema's closed, it'd be hanging over. Yeah, but yeah. When it was open, we'd have it hanging on the side of the door. And he just, like, tried to steal it and walk into the screen. Like, what are you doing? So, yeah, that one was pretty bad. That was probably one of the worst, like, and for a while, it was like, I don't want to do an Arnie marathon ever again.
3: Right. But, okay.
0: but since this, I don't know, yeah, it's yeah. just one bad apple, I guess, like, you know, of, of the bunch of Arnie screenings. But but most of the time, those are fun events. You know? There was
2: a fight kicked out off when I went to see um, The Irishman. Oh, yeah. Of all the films. Yeah, that's crazy. I was so excited to see it. Could Not, not hear, right? <laughs> no, I wasn't here. No, no, no. This is back in Cardiff. Yeah. Going to the cinema it's the, the chapter art cinema I love, love the place great venue great art house cinema and man I got so, many history, so much history there because I went to see Crouching Tiger there in the mood for love mm-hmm. uh, Requiem for a Dream Way of the Gun like amazing amazing films that I got to see there I got to see Hard Boiled on 35 there as well and um, huh, so excited to go see The Irishman desperate to watch it you're stuck in traffic on the way. But then it turned out that 80% of the audience for that film was also stuck in the same traffic. <laughs> so the cinema waited <laughs> for us all to get there. Oh, that's amazing. But like they, they held back the screen by like 20, 30 minutes. Jeez. We all got in. da Super excited to see it. Two rows in front. Just see this guy just as the film's about to start. Pops open a bottle of wine, starts drinking, glugging from the whole bottle oh, of wine. And you're like, no. this is not going to last long. <laughs> this is going to kick off. Anyway, what happens is as the film progresses, he gets through his wine. Obviously, it's a fairly long film, so he gets through it, and there's still a big chunk of film left. It's still before, it's before the bit when Pacino jumps after Stephen Graham. Yeah, yeah. Before that, that's
0: so early on as
2: well. It's still early on, <laughs> and so <laughs> he starts mouthing off, starts talking throughout the film, making loud sounds and that. His buddy starts getting frustrated with him, and they get so frustrated because they're all kind of drinking. He gets so frustrated fist fight breaks up between the two friends and they're like swinging at each other hitting them in the face da 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 uh, Jude Boyer is the stunt coordinator for like uh, what we did on Gangs and Havoc starts stepping over the seats to get them to break up the fight um, and meanwhile the film's just playing in the background and everything else <laughs> um, I think it's the scene where De Niro's picking the guns off the bed Yeah, all the guns yeah, yeah. lined up right and this guy gets kicked out just dragged out of the fi- out of the cinema and then, like we we're watching it, and then all of a sudden, it's the first hit when he goes into the cafe and, and shoots the guy. It's an amazing sequence, right? Yeah. But we're all we're all playing catch up again, trying to get back into the rhythm of the film, right? Because you know, you, you get pulled out of it, and you have to suddenly launch back in at this big, emo- like you know, big scene in the movie. You know, we're still in the, the 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 amazing sort of like you know spell of this film. You know, I love that movie from fucking beginning to end, every frame of it. I just love it. And we're sat there, and then the actually the guy keeps coming back in. Oh, he left the bag here somewhere <laughs> Is there in front of the bag here somewhere yeah. comes back in grabs the bag takes it back out comes back in that wasn't his bag <laughs> I mean I got for fuck's Shit. sake just take every get bag and, and just here. get out they yeah. take the bless them yeah. I mean they're having to deal with this guy who's yeah. probably drunk and causing trouble outside and yeah, else yeah. so they come in and they grab the bag and they take it out everything. anyway so that, that's all done then um, the reason I mentioned the thing with Steve Graham and Al Pacino that scene um, <laughs> we start there watching the film and it's gone quiet now for a bit. We've all settled. We've all got back into the rhythm of it. We're all in the sort of the majesty of what Scorsese's doing. And then Pacino lunges for Stephen Graham and whacks him to the floor. And the guy who punched his mate declares to the entire cinema, I just did that. <laughs> <laughs> and breaks the spell for another uh, minute or two. I hope people at least laughed at that. We did laugh. <laughs> we all found it funny. But it was just like, <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like, the power of that film was so strong, yeah. Like, and 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 the final twenty minutes so profound, yeah. That it didn't matter that it was probably one of the worst conditions to watch the Absolutely. film. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it would, it still, it broke through all of that noise, and it was like, like you know, that those final moments when you know, the Niro's characters having to reflect upon the loneliness of his existence, mm-hmm. the futility of everything he's done with his life and the fact that the one true friend he had he killed and why because someone just told him to do it yeah and that he threw everything away and that's his those are his dying days those are his dying moments is to reflect on that like i just never seen like a gangster film tell a story that profoundly before yeah and I, so i i came out of it buzzing i was like it didn't matter all of the sort of nonsense with the wine with the, the guy and and all of his fucking luggage that he's still left <laughs> behind, or oh, the other guy interjecting with his little quip. Um, yeah, And it was a good quip, fair play to him. That film was so strong, man. And, yeah. just like, and sometimes you just see a filmmaker, and you see a, f- a film just command the room so much, you just kind of just, everything else just goes away.
0: Yeah, I luckily had a pretty decent screening of that when I saw it here, because I saw it when we were showing it. And the biggest annoyance was just a woman next to me was eating like like a tuna sandwich. I was just like oh. why did you bring that in? And it's one of those weird Pret ones that has crackly like plastic and it's just like please just go away.
2: <laughs> I had I had two people one sat right in front of me, one sat right behind me eating nachos uh. throughout the opening of a quiet place.
0: <laughs> it's not the quiet place anymore.
2: <laughs> Talk about destroying the mood of the, yeah. the gecko. It was just yeah. like it was like you you literally sat there kind of like either don't eat anything or eat a lot fucking faster because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to you know because that was a that was an intense cinematic yeah. experience like, it was such a great film yeah and to just kind of be sad to, with this cacophony of like and it was weird it was like they were they were filling the gaps on each other's bites so it was like and forwards and back forwards and back and I was like fuck me I can't escape this yeah but yeah it was uh,
0: insane well I guess we should get to it Is oh this, yeah we been going <laughs> there we go for yeah. a bit. but uh it's been an absolute pleasure having you Likewise. on the podcast. And uh, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Great chat. We didn't talk too much about your stuff. And I think you That's were good. kind of hoping <laughs> yeah, we'd yeah, have yeah. Like a, just a brief nonsense chat about whatever.
3: That's cool. I'm happy to do it anytime.
0: <laughs> but yeah, we, we love you here at The Prince Charles. And uh, what do you have anything coming up that you'd want to tell people to... Hey, um,
2: check out! I'm doing this. Um, I mean, we we just wrapped on Havoc. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the newest one. We shot that with um, amazing cast. We had Tom Hardy, yeah, uh, Forrest Whitaker, uh, Luis Guzman. Um,
0: a, I saw that on the uh, Wikipedia. I was like,
2: Luis Guzman. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's yes. he's he's, he's someone special, man. He's <laughs> really him. great. Timothy Oliphant as well. Mm. Um, and then we have a lot of great younger actors as well. And you know, cast we also have. Um, actually, one of the guys that we worked with, was so excited was Sonny Pang, who, I, who I've known for years. Mm back in my Jakarta days, he was based in Singapore. He came over to do a couple of films with um, one of my other buddies out there, Timo Chianto, who did Headshot Night Comes for Us and yeah. you know, uh, Killers and Macabre and um you know and, and, and May the Devil Take You and everything else. And just brilliant filmmaker. Um And so we got to work with Sonny, which is great as well. Um Yeah, I'm f- probably forgetting lots of different people's names right now that I should be mentioning, but yeah. they're, they're a great cast, great bunch of people. And we finished shooting that about three weeks ago and I'm kind of, I'm still in decompression mode. from it. <laughs> yeah. All these shoots just take it out of you after a while. And so you're just like, you. you I'm, I'm crawling slowly back into society. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, it's kind of like what everyone's doing yeah. anyway, right? It's yeah, like a, yeah. Yeah. It's a, a, a total like, like that. Just what everybody's trying to get back, exactly. back into the world.
2: Exactly. So there's not that much pressure to get back in, in a hurry, you know? Yeah. But yeah, so we're, 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 we're in post on that now and hopefully we'll have something ready by the tail end of next year. For, awesome. for release, I don't know exactly what the release strategy is, but it will come out sometime in the next year, and that's with Netflix then as well. Yeah.
0: Well, everyone, keep an eye out for that. Yeah. There we go. Well, thanks a lot, Gareth. Thank you very much.
2: All right, so there you have it. I hope you
0: guys enjoyed that episode. It was a very fun chat that Gareth and I had had. He's such a nice guy. You know, he was great to work with for the Q and A. He's just so friendly. He's so good about answering questions. He, you know, he made so much time for the fans that came out. It was kind of funny as soon as we finished the Q&A, because we did it between the first and second film. We walk out and tons of people started leaving. And I was like, oh, no, don't people know there's a second film right after? We kind of said enjoyed the raid, too, before we get off stage. Uh, But yeah, uh, it turned out it was just because it was like about 15 to 20 people who just wanted an autograph from Gareth and he made time for each and every person. And then they all mostly went back in the screen and watched The Raid too. So that was pretty cool. So yeah, I want to thank Gareth so much for this. Uh, If you guys enjoyed it, let me know. Gareth has expressed interest in maybe coming back and having more of a goofy chat in the future. So who knows? Maybe that'll happen down the line. Uh, as Gareth talked about in this episode, he mentioned Gangs of London a little bit, but he was also talking about his new film, Havoc, that he's uh, finished directing. So check that out. It'll be out next year. I think it's going to be on Netflix. Uh, maybe it will show at the Prince Charles Cinema because we do show a bit of Netflix stuff uh, before it comes out. So, yeah, and if you want to follow Gareth on Instagram, that is at G-H-U-W-E-V-A-N-S. That's G-H-U-W-E-V-A-N-S. Hugh Evans over in Instagram. Check out The Raid and The Raid 2 if you've not watched it. They are insane films and they're so awesome on the big screen as well. Yeah, as always, follow me at tall for all T-A-L-L, the number 4 A-L-L, on Twitter and Instagram and you can follow the podcast at at podcastatprinterallcinema.com. That's where you can pop us an email or the PCC podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, and yeah, if you like what you hear, you you want to support the podcast, is patreon.com forward slash the PCC podcast. And Phil is making a film. It's called The Regulars. Uh, it's over there on Indiegogo. The link will be in the description for that. Or you can follow uh, The Regulars film on Twitter. So yeah, help Phil make his film at the Prince Charles Cinema. So maybe one day other podcasts like ourselves will want to talk to Phil the way that I just talked to Gareth about completely anything but his movies <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed this episode we'll be back next week with the uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind and I'm sorry if you're looking forward to that episode uh, in the place of this but hey you know you get this really nice like bonus episode so enjoy it bye guys
1: It's family.